Round two of our Interbike Extravaganza takes us for a ride with the shifting and stopping provided by Shimano's new Durace. It's much easier to feather the brakes now and the modulation on the brakes is really just absolutely stunning. And we hear from one of the top sports nutritionists in the industry. The number one thing I think an athlete could do is just step away, maybe for a week from technology and get to become very in tune to how they feel, depending on a rep or environment, so then they can understand what they're doing to change it, to make it themselves feel better. Baseline, the podcast on two wheels, and two of us still getting over the after effects of a week in Vegas. You know, that whole happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas idea that just doesn't fly when it comes to Interbike. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick's head, my head, still trying to sort out all the stuff we saw, all the people we talked to, and most notably, the sight of one of our favorite guys in the sport, Yuri Oswald, swimming in a kid's pool at the Camelback Outdoor Demo Tent. I hope you folks saw our featured image from last show. If not, head over to redkiteprayer.com. Look at the pic of Yuri and a few other hardworking men and women in the bike industry splashing about on a 90-plus degree day (laughs) in Boulder Canyon. Patrick, you have a way with words, but that photo said it all. (laughs) Yeah, and it was exactly what I wanted to be doing. (laughs) We love Yuri. Good guy. Yeah, speaking of Yuri, um, he and his wife, Vanessa, are going to be doing the Pavlov ride. We should have a link to their fundraiser in the show notes. And uh, lots of positive thoughts and wishes out to Vanessa, uh, who, while Yuri was at Interbike, actually had to go to the hospital. I'm not sure what was up, but uh, apparently things are going well for her, and she's planning on doing the ride. Yuri had to... uh, sort of make a quick exit from Interbike, if I understand right. But things are going good. They're going to both be doing this amazingly difficult ride, so she must be doing okay. But lots of positive thoughts from all of us here at Paceline. Good, good, good. Yep. Love the good, two of them. Good to hear. Yep, good to hear a, a, a positive update there for um, Yuri and Vanessa. Best wishes to both of them. Uh, the Paceline with Patrick Brady, of course, of RedKitePrayer.com and Fatty of the TheFatCyclist.com. I'm Michael Houghton, host of this podcast, which can be found on Red Kite Prayer, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music. We will have another round of uh, interbike madness in this show before uh, another batch, though, of bike geekness. Let's check in with the most popular man in cycling, not at Interbike 2016, Fatty of FatCyclist.com. Fatty, how is it you were not in Vegas? Oh, you know, no one asked me to come. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no i'm i'm reeling from jealousy at you two guys getting to go to that i know you know everyone come on, oh man it's just a working you know working week but those of us who didn't get to go we are so jealous of those of you who did get to go so yeah. i loved it, it. Is, yeah yeah fantastic it, it's a whirlwind right patrick i mean you're, it's constantly <laughs> moving and on your feet but it is i mean the eye candy is worth it all well i i find it amusing that i've become uh, a, a joke to my friends that, oh, I saw you, you were talking to somebody, or I saw you, you were walking someplace very quickly. They talk about seeing me and never having a chance to say hi. And yet my memory of, of Interbike is constantly saying hi to great people. Uh, what I will say I'm completely fed up with are all the people making Facebook posts and blog posts saying how much Interbike sucks, how awful it was. And yet they were all there to say it. So they still found enough reason to go, but no, nobody had a good time, which it's not the event I was at. I had a great time, although I haven't done anything in Vegas that needed to stay in Vegas. <laughs> Anyone who doesn't want to go next year, just let me know. I will go in your place. We'll, we'll get you in. Serious offer. Yeah, we'll get you in. Somehow we'll get you in. We're going to have a great deal more on Interbike, including a news of a transfer from one noon Trition team to another. That's a little clue right there. Uh, but first, uh, something uh, caught my eye um, just as we were about to start the show today, guys. Um, and this comes from somebody I guess I was starting to go to give give a bit of a break to, 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 to maybe begin to understand or at least 
um, hear him out a little bit more. And that is our, our good buddy Lance Armstrong, who um, has engaged in um, another little back and forth, shall we say, with a journalist. Armstrong issued an invite to Irish journalist Paul Kimmage, who is, of course, a longstanding critic of, of Armstrong, uh, to interview him on stage during a sports conference in Ireland. Kimmage has declined the offer. The whole thing was done on Twitter with Lance putting out the invite. It went like this. Hey, at Paul Kimmage, here's a thought. How about you and I do the interview at the 1-0 conference? Uh, Kimmage tweeted back. You're confusing me with one of those Muppets that used to dance to your tune. <laughs> Good one, though. Oh. I think I was one of those Muppets. You were? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I, uh, you know, I was totally, I was totally pro Lance in the FatCyclist.com for very many years, and uh, you know, I, I, I raised north of two million dollars for Livestrong. So, yeah, I think I was one of those Muppets. What's curious is. Recently, Lance blocked me on Twitter. I th- after the uh, after my Floyd Landis and Dave Zabriskie interview, he blocked me mm. on Twitter. So, <laughs> what? How does one get blocked on Twitter? I thought Twitter was. Just oh, I can answer that question. <laughs> oh, you're blocked too, aren't you, Patrick? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, a year or so ago, that he did an interview with a golf magazine, and he talked about how golf has honor and. Uh, it raised my hackles. And so I tweeted to him, Hey, uh, uh, cycling has as much honor as you bring to it. And apparently that is sufficient. <laughs> Wait, so what happens when you get blocked on Twitter? How does that work? Oh, well, there's you a know, little widget thingy that you can go to in settings and you can put in somebody's Twitter handle and they go away. You know, and it's more of just an F you than anything with teeth because I mean, it makes it so that when I'm logged in as me, that I can't see tweets from anyone who has blocked me. And um, he can't see any tweets that I post. You know, so it's basically we stop existing in the same Twitter universe. But of course, anyone can log into Twitter anytime and not, well, not, well, go to Twitter anytime, not logged in and see anyone's tweets. And so blocking does not actually stop anyone from looking at anything. It's more of just a, hey, I've blocked you. Uh, because I don't, I, I don't like you. It's sort of a way of sending a message without saying anything. So it's messages in the ears. Yeah, yeah. Mm. In a in a social media type of way. Mm-hmm. So so uh, who's blocked you, Michael? Uh, I, as far as I know, no one. I, I guess I'm, I'm not doing a good enough job <laughs> on social media. Of this would suggest you're not people. sufficiently engaged. Oh. It would. <laughs> I think I'm just a little too careful. Only two thirds uh, of the pace line has been blocked by Lance Armstrong. I'm shooting for a thousand percent. <laughs> Michael, get busy. Okay. <laughs> I, I have. Let's see. Should I use the the pace line Twitter account or my personal account to achieve this? Oh no, you and have I've to got... use your personal. We'll we'll get uh, to the pace line eventually. But uh, <laughs> I have a feeling the guy has no clue who I am. Maybe he does now, but. Hmm. Yeah, I for for what it's worth, I did send him an email uh, saying, "Hey, I didn't notice you blocked me. Um, you know, no offense intended by you know doing this interview. I assume that's why. Uh, haven't received a reply, but you know, I seriously don't. I I bear Lance no particular ill will. It just it it was curious though that I am out of his four million people who tweet to him blockworthy. Strange. Hmm. In case you forgot about Paul Kimmage and Lance Armstrong and their relationship, back to the, what got us into this story. <laughs> the uh, old Armstrong famously, uh, Armstrong famously ripped uh, Kimmage uh, during a press conference at the 2009 Tour of California. Kimmage had asked Armstrong for an interview, and Armstrong replied in a very public and very Lance way. No, we're not going to sit down and do an interview. And I don't think anybody in this room would sit down for that interview. You are not worth the chair that you're sitting on with a statement like that, with a disease that touches everybody around the world. So these are two, obviously, no closer, no closer that is, to sitting down and, and having a beer, and sounds like that may be the case with two-thirds of the show. The time oh, I'd have place. a beer with him. I, you know, like, like oh, okay. Fatty, I, no, I bear Lance no ill will, and while I don't ever want to see him ride a bike again, 
Um, I do miss him in the world of cycling. He was wildly entertaining. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, by comparison, a lot of the characters we have now are just, uh, just too bland. Yeah. Well, the latest news on him, by the way, as far as riding is concerned is I guess his, his ban has been partially lifted. Like he can compete now on, on, in certain types of events. Whereas before anything that was sanctioned was, was off limits to him. Now I guess he can compete again. Um, and there's word of him starting some type of endurance series. So there's some things in the works that may see him you know, back either running or riding or doing something as well. Yeah. Don't care. Don't care. <laughs> yeah. okay. I, I, I want him to talk. I just don't want to see him move. <laughs> Okay. Sorry. That's a weird image. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, as promised, guys, round two of Interbike 2016. Last show, it was uh, FSA getting the group set glory. This time, Patrick takes us on a ride shifted by Shimano's top tier group. That is next on the pace line. What is it about these dopers that you, you seem to admire so much? Excuse me? What is your name again? My name is Paul Kimmage. I work for the Sunday Times. I asked for an interview, but I didn't get one. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Patrick Brady at redkiteprayer.com is here. Fatty, fatcyclist.com, also here. Michael Houghton, your host. Uh, fresh from Interbike, folks. And last year at Interbike, a SRAM ETAP was probably the star of the show. This year... Um, not so sure, at least for me. Patrick, any nominees for you? Star of the show. Oh, yeah. Shimano's Durais. I mean, that's something that's going to move the needle for a whole bunch of companies. You know, this is a, a group that, you know, is going to define the high end uh, for the next, what, four years, probably. Um, it's, mm-hmm. a, you know, it's a number of, you know, relatively small changes that add up to um, a noticeably improved top of the line group. And yeah. So we've we've seen the we've seen the group set on paper, yep. and you've written some stuff on that so far. But at Interbike, you actually had a chance to ride the stuff, right? Yeah. So I got to ride two different bikes with the group. One was a Moots uh, with uh, traditional cable actuated calipers, you know, rim calipers, and the other was the uh, Fuji SL uh, with hydraulic discs, also a, a mechanical. Uh, uh, shifting system though. Um, and the, that's, what's going to hit the market first will be, you know, a a cable operated drivetrain. The DI2, uh, groups won't hit the market until a little later. Um, something like Christmas time or, or first quarter of the year. Um, and, uh, yeah, I got to go out for a couple of rides on this stuff and it's just absolutely lovely. Something I will say is early on with uh, Shimano's uh, hydraulic braking for road bikes, uh, those brakes were really grabby. If you needed to just scrub a little uh, speed, you know, to feather the brakes within a group, um, you would frequently hear, or at least I would frequently hear yelps from behind me where people uh, noticed that I was slowing quite a lot. And that was a real problem, you know, especially for group rides. Um, they've really improved that. Uh, I'm, I haven't gotten the story from, uh, from them on just what they did in that regard, but it's much easier to feather the brakes now. And the, uh, the modulation on the brakes is really just absolutely stunning, huge amounts of power, but, um, a, a, a really significant ability, uh, to modulate, uh, braking force, uh, as you enter turns. So you can, you know, enter hot, break later, um, and ramp it up, uh, without it, uh, without risking really locking up the brakes, even though you can certainly do that. The modulation's that good. They also, uh, changed the, uh, some of the shift geometry on the levers so that downshifts in the rear now, uh, take less movement and you can really feel that change. Um, front derailleur shifts, uh, require less action. Uh, it's a lighter action now, wow. uh, less force. Really? Yeah. Um, as if that could have gotten, cause the 9,000 was the, the 9,000 stuff was buttery. It was so yeah. easy. Yeah. It is easy. It, it's, it, you know, and it's one of those things like, Oh no. And it's one of those things that, you know, I was shocked because 
I climbed on it and, you know, the last bike before that I'd ridden was not a 9,000 bike. So it's, you know, there was some time in between, but the moment I touched it, it was like, oh yeah, that's really light. But they also figured out something in terms of the geometry of the derailleur so that you don't have this huge arm sticking up three inches above the pivot point. Mm -hmm. Um, they also eliminated the need for inline barrel adjusters so that you can make the cable adjustment, the cable tension adjustment right there on the front derailleur. You know, none of these is earth shattering changes, but added up, you know, it's easy to go, yeah, I want a bike with that on it. It's remarkable <laughs> yeah. stuff. And I say this, you know, I've, I've been a fan of the existing 9,000 calipers and the new, uh, the new R9100 caliper is... We're talking about rim brake yeah, now, right? The, the rim brake calipers. Caliper, yeah, okay. um, it is noticeably more powerful, you know? And it's it's one of those things that, you know, when all... Was that direct mount you rode or was that standard? No, it was the standard single bolt. I haven't even ridden the direct really? mount yet. Yeah, I can't wait to check that out. But it's funny to me that, you know, when everybody started complaining about the introduction of disc brakes... One of the things they said was, well, well can't we just make uh, the rim calipers better? And the standard response was, well, no, this is going to be better. What's humorous to me is, you know, they are still busy making rim calipers even better. Um, so, yeah, I really look forward to checking out the direct mount brakes. Um, I, you know, every experience I have with direct mount brakes is that they offer more power and better modulation uh, than, you know, a traditional single bolt rim caliper so you know yeah. there's there's a lot still to uncover uh with these groups and i know that journalists will begin riding the mechanical drivetrain uh fairly soon and uh we'll get choices of you know rim calipers or discs uh and then later on you know the di2 will come out and we'll get chances to ride that as well mm-hmm. um as i understand back to that front derail your two setup installation and setup is much easier it has that weird little plastic thing you had to put in there to decide how to route your cable yeah. over the pinch yeah. bolt i think that's been eliminated thank god i could never figure that thing out um any sign of, of this new hub there was this paulus hub that was supposed to come out any sign uh, of that i didn't see it but i also didn't ask for it you know i there was just so much mm. on my plate it, it I, I didn't even remember to look for it um, so I can't speak to that. You know, it, it may have been hiding in yeah. plain sight. And I suppose there'll be pedals eventually. Uh, they haven't really um, talked about pedals yet, you know? Um, okay. So who knows? And then back to, back to those great brakes, the hydro brakes, the hydraulic yep. brakes, those will get the Durace branding on. Yeah. This is no an actual be... full Durace group. This isn't non-series levers and brakes that look good with either Ultegra or Durace. These are actual Durace brakes. So, you know, as, as we mentioned in previous coverage, this means four different levers, you know, uh, mechanical shifting with uh, uh, cable actuated brakes. Um, then there will be mechanical shifting with uh, hydraulic discs and then DI2 with cable actuated brakes and uh, yeah. DI2 with hydraulic discs, four different levers. Wow. Yeah. A lot of work. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose a lot of folks will want to know how the hoods felt in the hands. Any difference there from the 9,000? It's still just really stellar ergonomics. Um, I'm, you know, I'm impressed. Um, you know, everybody's going to have an opinion of their own, but this, it feels like a Shimano break. Um, even when you're talking the... Uh, cable actuated um shifting with hydraulic brakes uh the the lever looks a little bit bigger but it's not hugely oversized you know um mm -hmm. it's it's really a, a pretty attractive looking brake of course one of the weird things on the floor was that you know there were a lot of new bikes obviously on the floors many of them kitted up with durace but uh, most manufacturers are having to show the 9000 series at this point, because the new Durace has not been sent to manufacturers yet, right? I mean, the, the rollout officially has not happened. We're just, we're seeing its first iteration at this point. Yeah, I saw a handful of bikes at the show, you know, on display with it, but there were an awful lot still showing 9000. So, yeah. 
Fatty, anything from afar, from from your distance, did, did something punch through from Interbike? How was how was it showing up on on the interwebs? I'm going to be honest and say that I had an uh, Interbike moratorium. Uh, here, here's what happens to us normal folks who don't get to go to Interbike, and you guys need to understand this. All we see is stuff that we can't have. Okay. (laughs) All we see is candy through two inch thick glass, right? (laughs) And I just, it it hurts too much to look. I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a look at this once it's on the market. I'm hearing you guys talking about the new Dura Ace and I'm thinking, you know what? I just made a decision because my road bike is so old to take my cross bike and use it as my road bike next year while I save up money to be able to afford the stuff that you're talking about right now that will be on the market next year and which I can afford the year after that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good strategy. Yeah. Uh, one of the first things that caught my eye on the floor of the Mandalay Bay Convention Center was not a thing but a person, and that person was Dr. Stacy Sims standing in the noon booth. Uh, Sims was half of the secret drink mix, along with uh, Scratch founder Alan Lim. Sims went on to create Osmo Nutrition, uh, a very focused, science-first company that urged athletes to put, or rather to segregate their on-bike nutrition to hydration in the bottle and food in the pocket. She also developed the first drink mix specifically tailored to the needs of women. Osmo is now pretty much offline for now, but uh, Dr. Sims is back in the game and she's at noon. We're here with Stacey Sims at uh, Interbike, and you are standing now in the noon booth. Yes. Uh, before we get to noon, and your story with noon, everyone obviously has connected you over the last few years with Osmo. Tell us first, update us, what happened with Osmo? Got to a point where they needed more sales and marketing and not so much R&D. So I took a step back, and I'm not exactly sure what's happening with the company. And they were under talks for acquisition the last I heard and understood, but I got to a point where I needed to get back into academia and get back into a little bit more research um, and help expand the industry as much as I could. So I took a senior research fellowship position down at University of Waikato in New Zealand. New heat chamber, new environmental chamber, lots of collaboration, so that's good. And then um, got contacted by Kevin to talk a little bit about what was happening in the industry and the sport hydration space and a lot of the things that they're doing with this company is very appealing because it mixes what I'm doing research-wise like looking to tweak your physiology to improve performance and getting away from all the doping and the PED which fits in very well with their clean sport initiative and then they've cleaned up their products a lot and they're looking to partner to expand this whole low carbohydrate space um, which is why now I'm standing in the noon booth. I guess people maybe didn't quite understand your role at Osmo. I mean, you sort of became the face of Osmo based on the amount of press that you get because you are an expert in the field, because of your research. But before we leave the Osmo story behind, what was your exact role there and how are you able to leave that place and it may still continue? Uh, So I was a co-founder, but I was also the research scientist. And there's only so many products you can bring out. So it got to a point where you don't really need R&D in a small company. So that's kind of like the evolution of a company. It's like you get to a point where you have products, you don't need a full-time R&D, and it's a small company, but what you do need is sales and marketing. So I guess I was a face because of all the education and stuff I was doing and the research that it's based on and the stepping stones that I have in the industry, and that's how it all got started. You were the R&D department, in other yeah, words. And, I was the R&D. And that department is pretty much closed for now yeah, at Osmo. Exactly. Now, now we're at noon. Yeah. What did you see in their product that you like, and where would you like to push it? Um, so it's not so much in the product itself, although they have done quite a bit of work to clean up the um, electrolyte tablets because that was one of the things that I didn't like when I first got into the industry of using all sorts of binding agents that are laxatives. 
but they, well, actually Kevin has spearheaded like cleaning up everything in there. So it's all functional. There's no sorbitol. There's no polyethylene glycolate. There's none of these binding agents that cause the problems. Um, but they also recognize that science is evolving and they want to stay in the space. So he reached out to me saying, hey, you know, what's going on? Let's see how we can evolve things. Are you free to partner? Are you free to help us with new innovation? And that's kind of how all this stuff started in March. Um, what else are you going to continue your, your messaging about proper ways to fuel and, and hydrate? That, that stays yes. the same, Stacey Sims mantra? Yeah, it stays the same. Because again, I'm a physiologist, I'm not a nutrition, like a registered dietitian or anything like that. So I look at how the body responds under stress. Is it heat stress? Is it um, altitude stress? Is it sitting around stress? Like one of the research projects I'm working on now is how chronic hypohydration can contribute to cardiovascular disease and diabetes and reducing some of the sheer stress that happens. And it's endemic in athletes as well as in obese and sedentary population because we sit so much. So it's not just like the active person and how to feel for that, but also the platform of how you become healthy in addition to your sport. So all the education is still being driven from the research and the collaborations that I'm doing. So that won't change. So give us Dr. Sims's top two or three things you would like to see, you know, across the board, all athletes attempt to do? Uh, stop relying on external cues. So many people, I'm like pointing at my watch, and it's not a Garmin or anything like that, because it's just time, but so many people are very dependent on how far they've gone based on a watch, or how fast they're going based on a watch, not how they feel. They're also very disconnected of, are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Like the number one thing I think an athlete could do is just step away maybe for a week from technology and get to become very in tune to how they feel depending on a rep or environment so then they can understand what they're doing to change it to make it themselves feel better. And you know it's always going to be about real food and really taking care of your body if you're a woman or a man or a kid, if you're getting into sport, if you're high performance, everybody needs something a little bit different. And if you can pay attention to what you need in the moment, it's going to improve your performance and your health. Um, final question. Um, there's been a lot of discussion and you've heard it on other podcasts. I know that is about the, the low carb, high fat, ketogenic athlete. Yeah. Where do you fall in this emerging world? Um, so I sit in the research world and I see the performance metrics that are coming out and the actual metabolic research is coming out. It works in diabetics and it works really well in obese individuals for insulin control and losing weight. But when it comes right down to performance metrics, there's no performance difference between being ketogenic and using some carbohydrate. And if you are completely eliminating carbohydrate and following the high fat, low carb, then you lose some of the muscle enzymes for converting that carbohydrate into fast fuel for performance. So if you completely eliminate carbohydrate, then you're compromising your performance in that way. So if you're training with a little bit of carbohydrate, that's great. If you're following the high fat, low carbohydrate diet, for health, perfect. Um, only if you're a guy. It doesn't work very well for women because uh, women need a little bit more carbohydrate for endocrine and menstrual cycle responses, and that's a whole different topic. Um, but for performance metric, you need a little bit of carbohydrate. Can't just stay on ketones. Again, that was uh, Dr. Stacy Sims, now with Noon, formerly of uh, Osmo. Um, she went over to Noon, as she said, because uh, she said Noon had cleaned up some of its product, gotten rid of some of the things that, you know, the bad things that make those tablets fizz, they also got rid of preservatives. Uh, so the, the product now actually has a shelf life of uh, two years before it would just last forever. They changed up some of their sweeteners. So they've done some things there that kind of gave her the green light that was cool to come over. And now um, they're looking to develop some product together, which Patrick, as you pointed out, probably would have been a good idea to have some type of product announcement to go with the person announcement at noon. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, want to sound critical of noon uh i've used their products you know uh the people i've met from the company i like but f just from a purely marketing standpoint it doesn't make a lot of sense to announce a new hire and not announce a new product you know so mm -hmm. i 
you know, it's like, okay, great. They've hired this person. You're spending more on payroll. You know, show me a product. Uh, I'm, I, and I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I look forward to when it arrives. She is a, a wealth of knowledge too. And somebody that can be relied upon for analysis regarding nutrition and is not afraid not only to speak, obviously she's going to want to promote her product and her company, but we'll speak in general too. Um, about what's going on in the nutrition world. And one of the few people that actually has her studies peer-reviewed. So gives her tons of credibility um, in the area. Uh, and Noon obviously uh, swooped her up as fast as they Good could. Good for them. Now, yeah, both Patrick and I make a constant swings by the Cliff Bar booth to A, keep our blood sugar up, and B, test new products. <laughs> Patrick, I found myself gorging on the new nut butter infused Cliff Bars. Oh, those more are so flavor, good. more moisture. Yeah, more fat, but they are smaller, so not as many calories. Uh, what were you munching on most? Uh, those, and then also uh, swings by the Bonk Breaker booth. It's funny, years ago in the Sands, Cliff and Power Bar had these two spots within the Sands Convention Center that meant that you were never more than a couple of aisles from either one of them. Um, I, I saw a power bar, but I just don't swing by for their products anymore. My, my now, uh, I don't want to say surrogate, but my replacement for power bar is bunk breaker. I love their bars. You know, I love their drink. And so, you know, depending on where I was, uh, I was always swinging by one or the other for a few more calories so that I didn't have to go out to lunch because I was scheduled every half hour all day long. Yeah. Um, I did get by Power Bar. They had a presence there. They actually sponsored the pump track this year uh, at the outdoor demo. So they had some products there. Honey Stinger was there as well. I mean, nutrition is one of those parts of the industry that can really take advantage of Interbike because they are not, they can, they can pretty much get into any shop just because you're a specialized concept store. doesn't mean you're bound to a specialized nutrition product. You can pick and choose what you think is appropriate for your marketplace. And so there is where these nutrition companies can really make the most out of, out of being in, in the faces of shop owners as they, as they cruise Interbike. Another cool uh, new product, still in nutrition actually a couple of them was like goo fatty you've been eating the stroop waffles no yeah i think they actually pronounce them strop waffles or something like St that strop strop they roll the r yeah they roll the r and they say strope and then they say waffle if you're in europe the, waffle. The, they're doing their absolute best to make it hard to pronounce those. <laughs> but let, let, let's uh let's just go ahead and say stroop waffles well the, the folks at goose say it so that. you know uh-huh. <laughs> Anyhow, we love Goo. Uh, again, our buddy Yuri Hoswald is one of their athletes, one of their sponsored athletes, and just a great yep. guy um, for the company. And their Stroop Waffle was also a hit at the show. And then they were also unveiling a new drink mix, which I thought was was really interesting, too. And that was a, uh, a black tea uh, drink mix that um, yeah. is new for them. Um, yeah, f they went with a black tea flavor which I thought was a pretty interesting. Um, it was developed by one of their ultra runners, Magda Boulay, and she actually won the Western States um, 2015 with Summit. It's called Summit Tea in her bottle, but they took another year to develop this, this product. They wanted to just make sure that it, it tasted okay once the bottle warmed up, so warm tea or even hot tea, if you will, and that it was still okay in the gut under those conditions. So Goo showing off a couple of new products. The Summit Tea tasted great, I thought. Good stuff from... From Goo, a busy booth, mm. as always. Hey, and for what it's worth, uh, Magda is more than just one of their athletes. She's also their VP of product development. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. She She's heavily involved in yeah. in the development side of their product. Yeah. So, but a great – she's an ultra runner, too. Yeah, so. she just took, I think, fifth at the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc. Wow. Which is, I guess, the most prestigious trail run, 100-mile uh, trail run in the world and i i mean she just killed it and yeah that uh that new uh that new roctane the black tea was her go-to drink through the whole thing so mm -hmm. uh just plugging another podcast i do the the goo pinnacle podcast i actually have an interview with her coming up on that so look for oh, that <laughs> good good uh the ultra runners are very by the way folks if you're into endurance at all 
Uh, it's complete crossover information. Uh, I think you mm-hmm. also interviewed Rob Carr on one of those. Yeah. Who was another fantastic ultra runner, a goo athlete, um, and had some great... In- well, he also talked about mountain biking. He rode the Leadville 100 as almost on a whim. Um, so <laughs> off the couch. Are- and, took, and took 15th. Yeah, off the couch. So, yeah. Yeah. Seven hours, five minutes. What the heck? <sighs> Makes me so mad. He runs for a living. <laughs> Patrick, did you get by the mechanics challenge? No, I wanted to, but oh. I could have cloned myself yeah. and still been busy. I think you should have entered, actually. Uh, this was <laughs> no. the first year. Uh, yeah, yeah, you should have. Uh, this was the first year of the mechanics challenge. It's sponsored by Park Tool. Um, they did, uh, what, three or four rounds. So there were qualifiers and then semis and then finals. In the qualifiers, mechanics completed Four tasks. We were kind of wondering what these tasks would be because when they announced a challenge, they wouldn't tell us. They wanted them to be a surprise at Interbike. So when the mechanics showed up, they were, you know, they had to react to the challenges. So here they were. This was for, again, the qualifiers. Swap out a saddle, change a cassette, change a chain, including shortening the new chain by four links. And in what competitors said was the hardest stage, swap out an inner tube while wearing blacked out goggles. So wow. blindfolded. Those were the qualifiers. And then the se- in the semifinals, competitors went head-to-head in heats of two. They did all those tasks again. In the gold medal round, organizers added a task that was secret until the last minute. Mechanics had to remove handlebar tape from a road bike and retape the bars. Uh, the retape job had to be done well enough that a typical consumer would be pleased. Right. <laughs> the judging done by experienced mechanics from across the country. So the finals came down to a couple of SoCalers. In fact, Wynn Allen of Wynn's Bikes in Westlake Village yeah. and Sean Miller of Psychological in Dana Point were the finals. Wow. And as you might expect, it all came down to that bar tape job. Judges thought that Miller's tape job was a little too lumpy and gave the title to Allen or the win to win in this wow. case. Wow. Uh, for his efforts, Alan got a tool set from Park and a three-night hotel hotel stay for next year's Interbike. So congratulations to to Win Allen, uh, winner of the inaugural Mechanics Challenge at Interbike. Of course, we are wondering, um, guys, why the Mechanics Challenge did not accept our suggestions. And we put out some <laughs> suggestions for challenges for for this contest a few shows ago. Here's just to remind you what they were. We suggested that they fix a flat, a simple tube replacement, not a patch job. The twist, though, was that they had to do it without tire levers. And then a second one would be diagnose and fix a creaky bottom bracket. The equalizer, do so while the customer is looking over your shoulder and bragging about their recent Strava KOMs. And then finally, we thought it would be a good idea if they had to replace a broken shift cable. The twist, the customer has completely removed the cable. The bike is internally routed and has no cable shift guides. Then do the whole job one-handed. So, <laughs> maybe next year we'll get those in. I, we'll have to do some lobbying, Patrick. I, I think maybe they would have taken too long. Replacing a saddle is something that could probably be done in about a minute. And uh, I know that I couldn't have done any of those in less than an hour. What, a saddle replacement or mine? No, our our, our suggestions, like replacing the cable, that would take, that, that would take a, yeah. a long, long time. There is a new app regarding mechanics. It's called a Velo Tooler. Um, it's kind of like an Uber app. It's a beta testing, expected to launch in the coming weeks, connects consumers and independent bike mechanics. So again, it's like Uber. Velo Tooler sets the prices, handles the transactions through the app so the mechanic doesn't need to worry about getting paid. After a consumer requests a mechanic for a specific task, the job goes out to a nearby participating mechanic who can choose whether or not to accept that job. So, Velo Tooler. Who sets and the labor That rate? combined with... Is it the mechanic or Velo Tooler? Well, I think it would be probably the mechanic, as I understand it, would become part of the Velo Tooler network and then accept the rates established by Velo Tooler. Kind of the same way Uber works. Mm. I mean, well, there's some fluctuation, too. I mean, Uber can... You can see the prices on Uber fluctuate depending on demand at the time. So uh, something similar to that, I would suppose. You add the Velo Tooler to 
Patrick, did you you went by and saw another, or you went by and saw VeloFix yep. again? Correct. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. I wanted so. to check in with them because they they weren't in a position to make the formal announcement, but it's about to come out that they are going to be providing uh, all the uh, assembly and service for Canyon bikes here in the U.S. once the full Canyon <clears throat> rollout goes. Um, so I'm I'm not clear yet if uh, bikes are shipped. Uh, to customers and then they come by or they're shipped uh, to Velofix. I think, I think the general plan is, is for them to be shipped to Velofix. Uh, they do the assembly and show up and deliver the bike. Um, and they're going to have the ability to do some limited fitting. Um, it won't be like a, you know, a full service fit studio, uh, but they are going to be able to work with uh, the clients and make sure that they're actually on the proper bike. Mm-hmm. So this whole idea of mobile mechanics and mobile shops certainly is expanding. There's other, you know, there's other companies on the scene now too, with these large vans that show up in neighborhoods or at bike races. Uh, this is becoming part of the new world, I think, with the uh, bike service is, is its mobility to the ability to reach people where they are. Yeah. Uh, coming up, um, another creative idea. This one to get you on a custom frame, and something new from our show. For now, we're calling it this week's picks essentially while you were working we were wasting time on the internet looking for just <laughs> what don't give away my secrets bar tape is i think one of those signatures in being a mechanic especially in a shop that people that, that's the thing they're always touching they're always seeing and, I, and that's one of the things i kind of pride myself on is a good bar tape job The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Fatty of FatCyclist.com is back with us. Thank goodness. Patrick Brady, RedKitePro.com. I'm Michael Houghton. Um, guys, the easy part of getting a new bike is not the new bike. It's it's the one you probably should get rid of. <laughs> the ride that, once the new baby has arrived, has no chance of seeing the tarmac or dirt again. Compounding the problem, the lack of a reliable system to sell that used ride. Yeah, there's eBay and Craigslist and Facebook and word of mouth and whatever. Finding a proper way to move an old bike along is really, fatty. What are your what are your top ways? If you think you want to get rid of a bike because you're getting a new one, how do you go about that? I'll see. I'm in such an unusual circumstance in that there are three strong riders in my family, and all three of us are the same height, and so I generally don't get rid of bikes until they are well past the point where I would sell them at all, but would rather give them away. Um, but yeah, I have sort of a trickle down bike, uh, plan where, you know, my bike, uh, you know, the mountain bike that is my a bike right now will eventually become someone else's in my family's bike, you know, a couple of years from now. So you can do what Fatty's done, which is expand your family and make sure everyone <laughs> has the same dimensions. That's exactly the same, what everyone has the same do. stack and reach dimension, right? <laughs> you could do that. So start breeding. That would be one way. <laughs> pa- pa- Patrick, it was funny, but not that funny. Oh, Patrick, you good. have found a new way to deal with this this dilemma. Well, I didn't find it. Um, I just happened to you know be the one of the first to hear about it. Yeah, so uh you know the, there's been I'm one no lasting criticism of the North American Handmade Bicycle Show and that is that you know builders leave sometimes with no orders at all uh but invariably fewer orders than they would like. And so uh Stephen Elms of SJE Productions um has begun you know, recently began working with NABs uh, on some new programs, things to help bring the show uh, a little more attention, you know, um, and make it, you know, kind of a better business proposition for all involved. And he has forged a really interesting agreement uh, with the Pros Closet, which is, you know, part bike museum, but mostly eBay store for people looking to sell used bikes. 
And so the moment I heard about this, you know, being somebody who's sort of invested in NABs, I'm chief judge for the awards. Uh, I was really excited because I want to see these guys leave with more orders. And so I had to get uh, Steve on the phone and ask him about the program. So it was a really fun talk. I've known you a bunch of years. You, uh, We first met when you were running marketing for independent fabrication. Since then, you've done some pretty creative work with some top flight companies like Cliff Bar. So I know you're a creative guy, <laughs> but where the hell did the idea for this, uh, for this program come from? And maybe for the listeners who haven't heard of it yet, you should probably define it just a little bit. Sure. So, um, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to be based uh, in Boulder, Colorado, where I have been for 15 years, which is where I moved to after I left independent fabrication. Um, so I've known Nick, uh, the founder of the Pros Closet, pretty much since uh, the Pros Closet began. And I've watched that uh, company do amazing things and grow and grow and grow and really become an establishment, uh, not only here in Boulder, but uh, but globally doing you know great things just to get bike parts in people's hands and, uh, um, and bikes in people's hands. And so I was aware of, um, the trade up program. Uh, I'd had a lot of conversations with Nick about it when they were first conceptualizing it. And what it really allows people to do, uh, is it takes the burden off of the dealer when it comes to, and to some degree, the consumer, when it comes to wanting to buy a new bike and having something of value, that you want to trade in. A lot of bike shops simply do not handle used bikes. Uh, the True pros that. closet, yeah, the pros closet is a global. They sell to uh, consumers all around the globe, uh, so they have that advantage because they're the largest uh, reseller on eBay of bicycles and bicycle products. So their market is a global one. So what they really looked at was to help facilitate the transaction between the consumer who wants to new buy buy a new bike and the dealer who wants to sell them a new bike by freeing up cash. Um, so for the consumer, instead of just putting a bike on Craigslist, like we've all done and dealing with, you know, 47 spam messages and nobody coming <laughs> and people blowing you off and asking if they can do it in trade or give you payments and all this sort of stuff, which we just know is a, a pain in the butt. Um, you take some high resolution photos and go on the pros closet website. There's a pretty simple form, a little instructional video. You take a photo of both sides of your bike, high res, so they can get a really good look at it, and um, they will send you a valuation, um, and uh, then you basically get a voucher. Let's say you're trading in, um, I don't know, an older Yeti that you have, and you want to buy a new, a new Yeti. Um, they'll tell you, hey, that will give you a check for uh, $1,700, and uh to the best of my understanding, that money, because um, they have a lot of dealers who actually have this widget on their website, um, and uh, the check will be cut straight to the dealer, and the dealer doesn't have to be with a used bike, and instead of having a used bike, the consumer has $1,700 to put toward a new bike. So it just really helps to speed up the transaction, and since the pros closet lives and breathes on the used bike market, um, they benefit by having high-quality used bikes coming through their door. So it's really a win, a three-way, you know, it's a three-way win. So um, that's the backstory on the trade-up program. And again, just go to their website uh, or the handbelt uh, website. We have the widget on ours as well. And, um, and there's, like I said, a little bit of a video, and I'll tell you exactly how this program works. So that is a long-winded uh, response to what the trade-up program is. <laughs> uh, now – how it worked into NAB. So my role with uh, with NAB's really is I help him and Don in uh, two ways. One is I have a lot of background in uh, the event world. Um, so I'm working with him both uh, behind the scenes to help just uh, on show operations um, as well as sponsorship outreach and efforts. But a lot of it is just how do we make the show flow better? What can we do to add value uh, for the vendors um, and it's add value for the consumers as well. He's got um, a great partner in uh, the team over at Echoes Communication who is doing you know wonderful things on the PR and media front. Uh, we're working a lot with uh, different uh, people in the Salt Lake City area to really continue to ride the uh, 
that wave that they had last year in um, Sacktown. And uh, we'd like to see Salt Lake City break record numbers as far as uh, um, people through the door goes and, and just excitement. And uh, so Don's investing a lot back in the show. And when we started looking at ways to, uh, you know, again, enhance the show and, and draw bigger crowds and, and create value really for the vendors who are spending a lot of money to, to be there and to show their wares, uh, we started having conversations with Nick over at the pros closet and it began, um, interestingly enough to talk about the pros closet museum, mm. which, uh, is, ah, God, I think over a hundred bikes now, uh, oh my gosh. pretty much if you grew up or were into mountain biking, um, in the nineties or to some degree eighties and nineties and early two thousands, pretty much every bike you drooled over in mountain bike action the pros closet probably has, uh, the first Manitou full suspension bike, uh, Missy Giobi's Yetis, um, Travis Brown's race bikes. Um, and then just unique bikes, Sirota built, um, seven bikes. Uh, it goes on and on. Uh, it's all on their website. So we started looking honestly at the, at the museum. Yeah. And, um, that will be coming to, uh, the hand built bike show. Um, all their hand-built bikes that they have, both on the mountain bike side, uh, which pretty much was everything you saw in the 90s, uh, mm -hmm. hand-built bike. And uh, so a, an amazing mix of uh, legendary road bikes. I think, if memory serves me correctly, they have one of the – like Steve's Potts personal bike that he rode across the country, if memory serves me correctly, in a conversation with Nick. Wow. Uh, how cool will it be if Steve Potts is at the show and he can go actually into his own museum and look at a bike that he – is now in their museum that he has a story behind. So there's a lot of connectivity with the pros closet beyond just the selling side of things. So we're bringing their museum to the show, their hand built segment, um, which we think is really going to add a lot of, uh, a lot of additional excitement, be a big draw for a lot of people. It'd be great for just the vendors as well to look back in history of bikes from, you know, a long time ago, um, fat chances and Sirotas and, and others, uh, Tom Ritchie's, um, one of the first generation fat bikes, which is actually, uh, two, you know, 2.2 wheel, uh, tires, uh, laced together. Oh, Can't right. Remember. I remember those. Yeah. Remember that bike? Yeah. Um, you'll look at stuff and you'll be like, I remember reading about that mountain bike action, uh, first generation Merlins and things like that. So really beginning to build that true historic history, that'll be, I, I think a real, um, uh, treat for all the attendees and like I said, the builders. Um, so that evolved into discussions about the trade up program and ultimately, um, facilitating transactions, uh, at NABS, um, and doing our part for the vendors and the manufacturers that show up there to help, um, make that transaction easier. So we started looking at the benefits of, uh, what the program was doing and it's already established and it's, it just seemed like a natural plug and play. And the beauty of it really is that it's not like you have to trade in, um, your old IF or your old Sirota or your old Moots toward a new handbuilt bike. If you've got a couple of treks sitting in your garage that you haven't been riding very much, but still have value, those will work in the trade up program as easily uh, as any other bike, if you got some old mountain bikes or some old road bikes, uh, Trek specialized, it really doesn't matter. It's a nice, they'll apply a value to it and tell you exactly what it is. And you can walk the halls of nabs with vouchers in hand. So you don't have to worry about carrying cash or anything like that and walk up to, um, Aaron at mosaic, the guys at moots, um, whomever else might happen to be, you know, whoever else is going to be at the show, uh, and say, Hey, I've got um, $2,000 worth of uh, voucher from the pros closet, and I would like to place an order here. Uh, the, pros, the pros closet will cut a check directly to the builder. And, um, and the beauty there is that, again, it's a win-win-win for, uh, for everybody. The pros closet gets bikes to keep their business going. Uh, the vendor, um, and the, the builder, I should say, uh, gets uh, the sale, which is a critical part of NABS and something that we are aggressively pushing. And the customer gets to roll away on a dream bike. Um, and that's, uh, so that's really how the trade up program and, and the, the merger with NABs all came together. It really, again, just seemed like a, 
um, a win for everybody. And, and by pacing it out, you know, this news is out now. So we're months ahead of the show. So really there's no pressure on anybody. Um, and that service, uh, you know, the nice thing about it is the pros closet already does a lot of work with, um, a number of manufacturers, a number of small frame builders on demo bikes and things like that. So they already have a lot of re- these relationships in place. So it just seemed like a natural fit for everybody. And, and most important, all parties uh, involved are, are really excited about the relationship. And it's really fun to kind of see it happen organically and naturally. Uh, Echoes talks to the pros closet on a pretty regular basis. And uh, we'll start rolling out over the coming months reveals of the bikes that will be featured in their museum mm. and, um, the stories behind those. And, uh, as well as obviously the effort that goes into promoting, uh, all the frame builders that, uh, that come to the show. So, um, yeah, when Don said months ago that he was putting a lot of energy back into the show, this is just sort of the tip of the iceberg and, uh, and one that really benefits everybody. I'm so psyched. I mean, if there's been one lasting criticism of NABs, it's that, too many builders leave, you know, with no new orders. And I think this is going to go a long, long way to uh, changing that perception and, and really helping the builders, you know, uh, and get a lot of people on a lot of amazing bikes. Steve, thanks so much. I'm yeah, just absolutely. so stoked about this. Yeah. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. No, I enjoyed it. And uh, I'll see you uh, in Salt Lake City. Tell all your friends. Again, it was Steve Elms with the North American Handmade Bike Show on the new trade-up program that involves the the pros closet and the builders, the bike builders, and, of course, uh, customers as well. Pretty cool program, Patrick. Um, And your pros closet, when you say pros closet, it always sounds very high-end, but uh, any bike, just about any bike can be trade it up do i have do i understand that correctly well it needs to have some remaining value you know if it's your uh peugeot px10 from 1964 maybe not the right location for it but you know if you've got a colnago you know from the mid 90s or something like that you know even the 1980s anything that you think really still has lasting value uh if you can take it out on a ride and somebody will go oh dude cool bike you know that's the sort of thing Good. We always need more avenues in light of, uh, in lieu of, I should say, of expanding our families <laughs> to uh, <laughs> to moving our no longer wanted bicycles. Or you things. can just make your family like riding bikes. Yes, you can. <laughs> Working on it. Hey, let's try something new here on the Pace Line. And the best name we could come up with at this point was This Week's Picks. And this will be stuff that the three of us came across during the course of our show research that caught our eye or ear. It will more than likely be cycling-related, but it doesn't have to be. So this week's picks, and that name is written in pencil, by the way. We reserve the right to change it. Fatty, lead us off with your pick of the week. Okay, my inaugural this week's pick is the iPhone 7. Because it just hasn't got enough press. Um, (laughs) No, the reason I am bringing a phone into this is cycling related. It is what I consider to be the first Jersey Pocket ready iPhone. Um, The the fact that it is uh, a lot more water resistant than their previous versions means that so far I've been putting it for... uh, and I've been an iPhone user since version one, but this is the first time I've been putting it in my jersey pocket without first putting it in a sandwich bag or some mm-hmm. other kind of container. Uh, the nice thing about that is it means that I can quickly, even though I wear full-fingered gloves on every ride, road, or mountain, can quickly get to my phone without taking it out of the bag or container and answer a call or text or whatever and basically still be available. I've dropped this new phone in the water and it didn't lose a second. It didn't heat up. It didn't, the screen didn't die. It's a, it's a phone that, uh, you know, for the first time ever feels like it is ready for someone to be athletic and still keep their phone with them. Oh, and I have a spare, I have a bonus tip on for people who use any touch screen phone, uh, who also wear full fingered gloves when riding and find themselves trying to use the phone with, but have to take their gloves off. And maybe you yeah. guys already know this, but did you know that if you just lick the tip of your finger 
on or the tip of your glove that you can then use the touch screen. No, uh, I had no idea. Huh. Yeah, is that iPhone only? No, or no, does, that's any capacitive that screen. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, and, I, I saw someone and, do it a, a couple of years ago and I was like, why, why are you doing that? He's like, well, that's what you got to do if you want to use a capacitive screen. And you know, there there's the gloves that are touchscreen ready, but those never yeah. work very long, it, you know, because the little wires or fibers that are supposed to be capacitive screen ready, they always wear out really fast. But if you just, you know, if you need to punch in your passcode or swipe to answer or whatever, just lick the tip of your glove, and then you can use the screen until you know the glove drives out. Ooh, huh. I like that tip. There you go. Yeah. Uh, mine takes us to the Great White North. You know, Canada has the Trans-Canada Highway. Well, in 2017, the Great Trail will become the Trans-Canada Trail. Uh, it is currently 90% complete. When finished, the TCT will cross 13 provinces and territories. It will reach north from the Yukon and connect with British Columbia to the west and as far east as Newfoundland. Oh, I like that dog. <laughs> there he goes. Someone's ringing the doorbell again. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Go dog. Oh, that's your big new big dog, right? Yeah, that's Duke. He is protecting me from, uh, I don't know, the UPS guy maybe? I don't know. Oh, I like that Duke is making his debut here on the pace on. <laughs> Anyhow, regarding the TCT, all manner of human power will be able to use this trail. Yes, bikes, and some horsepower as well. Snowmobiles, because it's Canada. And actually, horses can be on there, too. Uh, so on this trail, you can literally travel from the Pacific Ocean up to the rim of the Arctic and down across to the Atlantic. And no Garmin required, no GPS. Just follow the signs. Canada will be celebrating its sesquicentennial in 2017. That's its 150th birthday. And no better way to do it than a bike trip across all of Canada on the TCT. All right, Patrick, top that one. Well, I don't know about topping it, but the geek in me is uh, crying out in glee. Uh, I finally brought home from Interbike uh, the United Bicycle Institute calendar. This is when all of their classes are held uh, each year. And so I brought home the 2017 calendar along with an invitation from school director Ron Sutphin to take one of their frame building classes. And so I'm busy looking at my calendar uh, of events for 2017 and trying to find a proper hole. I'm also trying to find out like when my kids spring break is, you know, uh, so that mm -hmm. we can go to Hawaii and I don't screw that trip up by going off and building a frame. And I'm, uh, wondering, you know, if the inner geek and in me can actually hold off until June and then may maybe we take an entire family trip to Ashland, Oregon, and I do the school while everybody else gets to go around and play and have fun in Ashland. And then I can drink beer mm -hmm. uh, in the evenings, although my wife won't take part in that. Um, so they've got classes in TIG welded steel, uh, brazed steel, you know, with lugs, uh, and TIG welded titanium. And I literally cannot figure out which class I most want to take. I, I can't help you. With that. <laughs> you are right. That is geekdom. Yep. And I can't touch that with a, with a welding rod. <laughs> is that a term? You see, I don't even know. You know and the, the classes really aren't all that expensive. You know, uh, they start at 2900 and run up to 3550 You know, that's uh, full tuition and registration. Um, and, you know, this is something anyone can take. You don't need to be an aspiring professional frame builder. If you just want to have the experience of building one frame for yourself, you know, go to UBI. Uh, they've been doing this for a long time. You know, nobody has trained more frame builders out there than them. And uh, they're willing to have me along uh, to document the experience. And uh, good gosh, I, I just can't do this quickly enough. Okay. <laughs> well, a, a fine first attempt at this week's picks. We're going to have to find a, a, an appropriate name for this. Um, that one might stick. It's not bad. But this week's pick. And folks, if you have something, uh, feel free to submit. We'd, we'd love to hear what you found just trolling the internet or anything in your life of cycling or life in general. Uh, the Pace Line, of course, a production of FatCyclist.com. Fatty, what is coming up on the site? I believe I've been seeing some some guest posts. 
Uh, yeah, the the monster, um, my stepdaughter, that is, is <laughs> posting some of her. <laughs> I heard that snicker. Uh, is posting a, a little bit about her experience with the Leadville 100. And I'm about to launch uh, yet another race report this time about my experience last July with the Crusher and the Tusher. Yeah, that yeah, that one somehow got out of rotation because that's a July event. We're looking forward to hearing just how that thing played out. Red Kite Prayer, all about the Interbike, Patrick? Uh, well, a couple more posts. Actually, one went up this morning that uh, concerns flow states and gear and the intersection point between the two. Uh, it's called the Whelm. So you might want to check that out if you're tired of new gear stuff. Okay. <laughs> a little, little gear respite with the... With something about flow, another favorite topic on RKP. Folks, if you at all have an interest in triathlons or triathletes, well, I have a few articles up at triathlete.com, all of it stuff from Interbike, but not all of it tri-related. There's some crossover stuff there, including a look at a project from Argon 18 that measures just how arrow you and the bike are. Pretty neat stuff coming out of Argon. The Pace Line has a home on the pages of RedKitePrayer.com. Show notes, links, comments, go there. Podcasts can also be grabbed from iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Music. At Paceline Podcast is our Twitter. Fatty and Red Kite Prayer, both with Facebook accounts worth following. And the Red Kite Prayer Instagram account has been flashing more photos recently, so check it out. Please don't block uh, us. <laughs> anything else, guys? Nope. <laughs> we, I'm done. We, we got it all. <laughs> the social media, the plugs, the inner bike, it's all here. Okay, let's go for a ride. We'll talk to you next time, folks, on the Pace Line. During the last segment, um, someone rang the doorbell and my dog went ballistic. I don't know if you guys could hear that. <laughs>